Welcome to this second Amazing Race 27 recap episode of the You Are Team Number podcast. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always is our resident Canadian idiot, Logan Saunders. Morning. I almost said evening, but we've really changed up the time slot for this week. I wonder if it uh, confused as many people as it did when uh, Amazing Race Canada switched out the time slot in the penultimate episode last season. A different time slot for one week only, because I went to go see Weird Al, hence Logan being the Canadian idiot. I saw the tea party, though. <laughs> I couldn't get anybody to see Weird Al and Penticton, but I did go see the tea party locally. Good old 90s one-hit wonder. Yeah, but Weird Al did the entirety of the tacky video live on the streets of London. They were like 15 minutes late starting, and we were all sort of really confused. And then, yeah, he recreated the entire tacky video in one shot, as he did in the original video, uh, entering the venue. And it was awesome. Wow, that is very impressive. So, as always, you can tweet us using the hashtag Yattencast or email us at yattencast at gmail.com. And this is more like the sort of episode we like to talk about. A good one? Yes, it was a good one. <laughs> it was one that I enjoyed, and one that had a lot of great reactions, mainly from Denise, who is our banner for the week. So, uh, previously, 11 teams began a race around the world, and Justin and Diana powered past Tanner and Josh to secure the only tickets on the first flight to Rio but it was all for nothing as their flight was delayed and their gamble at the fast-forward failed to blow the other teams away when the winds made it too dangerous to attempt, leaving them to fall to the back of the pack. Cindy and Rick were puzzled at the detour, while Kelly and Siobhan also struggled with it. Tanner and Josh won the Relay Express Pass, and Tiffany and Krista won a battle of wits, sending Team TMZ home. Poor Team TMZ. Not. And teams must now fly, according to Phil because Tanner and Josh couldn't be trusted to uh, tell everyone where they were going, to Buenos Aires, Argentina, and finally church where Pope Francis was baptised to find the next clue. And it's our first hours of operation of the season. Yes, and it's one of the rare airport scenes that we haven't seen on The Amazing Race in quite a while, where, well, not, e- not even so much the airport scene as well, but teams were able to mingle with each other at the pit stop. Which actually does seem to be coming back into fashion, because we saw it in uh, Namibia last year as well. Yeah, when they had Thanksgiving, they all were allowed to eat together in Namibia. And I think the reason why they're letting teams mingle a bit more now is because, ever, what was it, ever since Broadgate and uh, Amazing Race 13, that for the following season, they've always sequestered teams at the pit stop. But I think it's it's got to be expensive to keep the teams all separated from one another for the entire duration of the pit stop all season long. So I think allowing teams to interact with one another is probably cheaper for production, even if it means that they have to miss out on key moments while filming. Yeah, I think the only reason that they did keep them separate wasn't because of the supposed controversy of Bragate, but because they wanted to give the cameramen a little bit of a break. Mm-hmm. Rather than anything else. But now what they can do is just is just let the cameraman have the break and just not be too worried about capturing every single piece of footage uh, possible. Exactly. Last season they proved that they didn't need to put everything they'd filmed on air anyway with all the date night cards. Exactly. Yeah, that would have been that, that was a good call by producers. Although although they didn't Mike and Rochelle say that there was like twenty cameras though operating. At each of the date nights, and then doesn't even make it on the TV anyway. Yeah, it was apparently a very awkward experience. And something that I noticed, Kelly and Siobhan's intro shot seems to be filmed outside LA City Hall. Maybe they just photoshopped it in. And from this point on, Tanner and Josh will be Team Meggins. Because they're men who wear leggings, is that what you're going for? 
because they both did this week. You're just, so, so you're not settling for hashtag Team Texas, like the like what producers want you to call them? No, and a lot of people have been calling them the American Volta Mussolinis to me. No, they are not the Volta Mussolinis. They have a slight personality. They do. I like them a lot more than Gino and Jesse. Like, not by a huge amount, but they're, they're, it's two clear distinctions. I like that they're engaging with the race, and even if they're creating a sort of rivalry, it's it's not like Gino and Jesse where all it is is just them being competitive and completing tasks, and they have nothing to give. Like, that finale with Amazing Race Canada, that was just painful with Gino and Jesse because... I mean, they're in the reunion show. All they did was talk about hugging. That's all they had. That's the only point of interest they had for them. And that storyline didn't even establish until the finale. But with Tanner and Josh, we already have plenty, plenty of material after only two episodes. Also, I'm pretty sure that Tanner did more costume changes in this entire episode than Weird Al did at the gig, and that is a lot. <laughs> Because he kept changing between uh, tracksuit bottoms and wearing his shorts. And also Tanner and Josh want to use the Express Pass as leverage. So basically they're Marie with slightly less charisma. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't play out well at all. And they were the first team to depart at 9.40am, with Jasmine and Danielle at 9.44, Cindy and Rick at 9.48, and Denise and James at 9.56, and then everyone else wasn't shown. Yeah, you don't really need to show all the... Exact departure times, I guess. We sort of knew that everyone was fairly... Like, if it's around, like, last week, where everyone was clearly in close proximity to one another, it's not essential to show departure times. But, uh... Except for the last place team. The last place... The last team to, team to depart, you kind of want to show their departure time, but those middle cluster teams, it's not crucial early on in the race when it's when you know some of the rounds are designed to be close i would prefer them to still do it because they don't even have to draw attention to it they just need to put it on the screen oh yeah for sure i mean that would be the ideal way to go but it's not a huge issue with a leg like last week and we didn't find out how much money they got as well no, well, when you don't have a sponsor uh, that delivers the cash to the contestants at the start of each leg like other versions do uh, sometimes they're just going to glance over that. Especially if nobody runs out of money this leg, then they really will just skip over it. And we get to see a sort of alliance form between Justin and Diana and Denise and James. But Denise and James also give the same information to Tanner and Josh and Logan and Chris anyway. That's what they get for, uh, yeah, with Denise and James Earl, they really, uh, you don't ally with the team that's nicknamed the Helpful Christians, because... When you have the word helpful in there, chances are they're going to help other people. So, yeah, not the gr- not the ideal team to pick if you want a secret to be kept. And we get to see the beginning of Tanner and Josh's irrational hatred for Justin and Diana. Well, I mean, it, was, it wasn't completely irrational. I mean, they did know that Justin and Diana wanted the information to be kept secret, which that early on in the race especially when they haven't had that much interaction with them, that's bound to make a bad first impression. Having said that, Tanner and Josh did have a couple of less nice moments towards Justin and Diana, especially Mm -hmm. when we get to the roadblock. Yeah. But with this, it's like, I could sort of understand how annoying it would be to know that you're barely starting the second leg, 
And, you know, there's the, the guy from the Bronx in the room is all angry because somebody is sharing information that he wanted to withhold from you. And also, it's Google. It's not that hard. Yeah, they, they're in an airport. Yeah, they, they, they have uh, quite a bit of downtime by the looks of it to uh, do some research. It, w- it was about 10 hours that most of the teams had by the look of things. Yeah, like even Adam and Alex, who were departing near the back of the pack, uh, had time to look it up. And the arrival order at the church was Justin and Diana, Logan and Chris, Tanner and Josh, Alex and Adam, uh, Cindy and Rick, Kelsey and Joey, Ernest and Jin, Tiffany and Krista, Denise and James, and then Jasmine and Danielle. So, I guess we have to get the one issue out of the way, don't we? Yes, Hatgate, as it will be forever known. Well, the thing is, is that nobody, I, I, so I scanned through all the complaints on Twitter, nobody on Twitter complained about this. It was entirely within the 15 people or whatever it was on the Facebook page, and I scrolled through a lot of Twitter, so I can assure you that I pretty much read through every comment since the, that clip aired on the East Coast on Friday night, and not a single complaint was made. Well, there's one person who said, Aren't they supposed to be wearing hats? But it wasn't like a complaint. They were just pointing out, thinking, huh, that's odd. Uh, but then the Facebook page was, I think because it's an older demographic, a much older demographic with people who tend to use Facebook compared to Twitter, that they were all over that issue. Now, I am a good Catholic boy, and my understanding of the rules is it's frowned upon if a guy wears a hat in church, and it is encouraged for a woman to wear a hat in church. However, I do not expect teams who are not Catholic to know this. So, I do not understand the controversy particularly, and frankly, yeah, it's a bit of a production issue if they haven't told him the local customs, or the customs of the faith, but I can definitely understand it happening. Yeah, like... how Because the thing is, is that I said this online a couple days ago, but with The Amazing Race and Survivor, two shows that are filmed months before they even make it on the TV. They only have 40 minutes of footage to show each week, which means what they have to do is, after so, especially after you know 27 or 31 seasons, there's going to be certain information in each episode that they trust the viewer is implied. So I think this is a case where they might have been aware that you know the men should have been taking off their hats in the Catholic Church, but then... They probably just spoke to a priest and said, oh, no, uh, you know, there's teams that are wearing a hat. Um, uh, do, you, do you want us to make them take it off, or is it cool if they leave it on? And then the priest is probably saying, oh, yeah, it's cool, and then that's the end of the conversation. That's what I expect would have happened, especially when it's Pope Francis's church, who is, would you say, Michael, that he's probably within the Catholic Church, he's probably one of the most relaxed figureheads within the Catholic Church? I was just about to say this. It's deeply ironic that this is in a on a task related to Pope Francis, who is on a mission to make the church more inclusive. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, because even my, with my mother and my aunt, like, they're not too big on religious figures at all, but they, they pretty much refer to Pope Francis as the cool pope on a regular basis, with finding out all the little stories about him. So I think this is a case where it's like, you know, the really older, hardcore Catholic people are probably the ones who really took an issue with this incident. I think to all the priests who were there, and all the contestants, all the production crew, it wasn't a big deal to them at all, but yet to the 10 to 15 people online on Facebook, it clearly was. And 
from some of the remarks, apparently we're supposed to be removing our hats inside of any building, not just a Catholic church. Otherwise, we're, we were raised with no manners. Those are exact quotations from some of the people online. Having said that, CBS does have a horrendously old skewing audience, so... Especially with The Amazing Race, where it's... Like, you know, Michael, with some of the people we talk to online, like, when it comes to the Amazing Race audience that we communicate with, some of them are, you know, are fairly old that are (laughs) on the internet. And we will get to another complaint very quickly, because there's a brilliant complaint that if it is not in your blog this week, I'll be very disappointed at you. Is this the one where they want penalties for disrespect? That's a different one. That's linked to this one. Yeah, there should be penalties for any sign of disrespect towards any human being ever. Any team who does a confessional that bitches about another team deserves a penalty on the spot. Imagine trying to enforce that on the race. Do you know how bland that would be? Like with television, it's all about people talking openly about various topics and on the amazing race. You get penalties for being disrespectful at all or being negative and any light whatsoever. <laughs> it would just be a bunch of purple Kellys in the confessional room. Yeah, we said this during uh, Amazing Race Canada last season, when people were going, oh my god, I want Nick and Sabrina gone. Oh my god, I want Brian and Cynthia gone. Or oh my god, we want penalties for the cab stealing and Edmonton. Have you ever seen a season where it is just bland people? Because you will not watch it again. Because you'll be bored to tears. We haven't even paid the phone bill in 300 years. <laughs> but yeah, oh, what the hell? Yeah, it was just a, it was, what, what was amazing about these, about all these people complaining on links. Apparently, the admin of the official page just deleted the, the complaints about that at first, I guess. But it's just hilarious because I, I just, because I think I'm, I'm fairly, Familiar with some with like some of the religious stories and texts and some of the rules that are out there, but this just took me completely by surprise. I wasn't expecting this at all when I went online. It's a rule that isn't necessarily adhered to now, anyway. Mm-hmm. Like people are saying, no, oh, people should be taking their hats off in another person's home or in restaurants. Oh, how times have changed. This is everyone's just being so disrespectful. I think one person said that. People who took their hats off off inside of buildings happened during the year of the gentleman, and now everyone's after that is not a gentleman. I'm thinking, you know, it's just that values have, it's not like values are getting worse, it's just that what people value and what it symbolizes is just different from what it was 50 or 60 years ago. (laughs) More important things are prioritized. Like giving minorities the right to vote. I think that was, I think that's a bit more important than wearing, than not wearing a hat inside of a restaurant. Or that scene in Matilda where Danny DeVito tried to take his hat off inside the restaurant and because it was super glued, he kind of had a hard time with it. And then maybe after that, people are more forgiving about that because you don't know if somebody's hat is just super glued on when they enter a restaurant. Yeah, there's just more important things prioritized in the Catholic Church now, like trying to get the congregation numbers up, for example, and the number of priests up. Anyway, enough of religion. So, after teams have got the clue from the priest, uh, it's a detour, and it's Cataneros or Flatero. And in Cataneros, teams must collect 100 kilograms of cardboard to get the next clue. However, there are only eight stations available. And one of them has doo-doo. 
And in Flotero, teams must transport a statue from an antique shop to a park across town and build it in the gazebo to receive their next clue. And this is where we get our second amazing complaint, which was the person who complained that Jasmine and Danielle should get a penalty for waiting for a cart instead of going to the other detail. I think waiting for the cart is the penalty. <laughs> exactly. They must have waited at least like 15 to 20 minutes, if not much, maybe like half hour or so, just for that other cart. Which was a good move on their part, because switching over to head to the other detour location within a, a busy capital city like Buenos Aires uh, is probably the right call time-wise. They probably would have lost even more time switching over to the statue. Unless it's one of those detours that are close by one another, in which case, disregard everything I said. And fun facts, if you look just behind the church, you can still see Dana and Amanda running. <laughs> yes, they ran all the way there from the airport. But yeah, I responded on the official Facebook page to that comment last night, just saying, have you ever seen a limited stations detour before? Because if it says a limited stations detour, you know that someone is going to forget or someone is going to miss out. But the whole point of having limited stations is to force teams to use the other detour, but they don't have to because it's the detour which is a choice between two tasks each with their own pros and cons. It's their call. Are you just morphing together every single detour explanation all the Masonry's franchises out there? Pretty much. You missed a pun on one of them, though. Alan Wu is very upset. He's very disappointed in me. And we get the first paparazzi fight. Or No, I don't even want to call them paparazzi. Let's call them... The you know, celebrity photographers. Celebrity photographers. Or the paddleboarders, yes. The paddleboarders, Logan and Chris. Where they have their first major disagreement with Chris flip-flopping between which tasks he wants which task he wants to do. Can we talk about her tweet as well? Yes, yes we can. <laughs> in case you haven't heard before, uh, in the preview podcast we pointed out that one of Logan's hobbies, not our Logan, Paddleboarder Logan. Uh, one of her hobbies is, and I quote, paddleboarding in my backyard canals. So, being about 12 years old, we obviously found this a hilarious thing to say. And she keeps just, well, she sent both of us a uh, a picture of Chris paddleboarding in her backyard canals on Thursday. And it wasn't an 18 plus picture, in case anyone was curious. Yeah, it was actually paddleboarding in her backyard canals rather than, you know, paddleboarding in her backyard canals. I like it when a racer has a good sense of humor. <laughs> and then did you see, uh, I think, was it Krista or Tiffany that responded to it? Krista. Yeah, Krista responded saying, oh, I can't wait to fly to Miami to paddleboard in your backyard canals. <laughs> I mean, I know there is a secret group of racers discussing uh, what happens on the race and sending each other stupid screen grabs, but... This is awesome that we seem to have got something uh, included there. <laughs> I like the fact that you got complete credit for that as well. Yeah, like that was your joke and I got to take all the credit for it. <laughs> hey, I, I included you in the tweet. I included you in the tweet back. Because I wouldn't have seen it otherwise. And I would have been yeah. very disappointed. <laughs> any good joke we have, I'll take credit for it. And any bad joke that's a... Uh... Uh, like Lida hates or whatever, then we can just <laughs> blame it on you. <laughs> what else do we have Eamon and Ben for if we can't blame terrible jokes on them? That's the whole point of having them around, isn't it? And also, it's very dark at 7.30 in the morning. Do you notice how dark it was? It was like pitch, it was like pitch black when Logan and Chris were having their fight. Oh yeah, I thought you meant like me, because we started this podcast at 7.30 in the morning, I'm thinking, 
how the hell do you know how light it is here at 7.30 in the morning? I know I <laughs> I put my ca- camera on before we started uh, recording just to show you the Weird Al t-shirt I'm wearing. But it would be a little bit creepy if I went, oh, by the way, Logan, look behind you. I've got a webcam on you. <laughs> yes, I've rigged your house with webcams. Uh-huh. Anyways, uh, what were we saying about Logan? Oh, yeah, how dark it was. Yeah, yeah it was. Well, they would have filmed this during the... The summer, right, which is winter for South America, so that makes sense. It was June, I think, when they started. Yeah, so Southern Hemisphere, the old seasons get flip-flopped, even though you can still be wearing short shorts and bikinis in Rio at that time of year. I hate them. But yeah, I love I, what I loved about the detours uh, early on in it. Diana has, you know how, like, in every single challenge ever in any reality show, there's somebody, well... I guess mainly in Big Brother that this is where it's seen where at least one contestant has to over-explain the task, even though the host just explained to it seconds before. I love how Diana had the most casual explanation of any task ever. Yeah, Diana did not sound like she wanted to do that. Yeah. I think they might have picked her to do it deliberately because they thought, oh, this will be quite funny. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, it was just funny. She's like, yeah, we had to collect 100 kilograms of cardboard and yeah. <laughs> this like proved how good a match Justin and Diana are. They might be one of the most interesting teams we've had in a while because we haven't really had, like usually with super fans, they tend to either, they tend to go home early. Like when I picture super fans being cast for the race, I picture, say, Dennis and Isabel or uh, Lisa and Joni where it's like they're super fans, but you know they're not going to make it that far into the race. They're going to screw up because they're too revved up and then they're, they might miss, they might not have a skill here and there and then sure enough they're they're gone. Although I think Dennis and Isabel are more capable of racing than Lisa and Joni. Yeah. But, uh, but then we have, say, Justin and Diana who are well versed in so many different types of tasks. I mean, I think one of the best skills you can have going into the race is being something like an elementary school teacher because you have to know so many different types of things going into it with just all the different things that you teach that that's probably the ideal job to have other than being an outdoors person, I guess, would be <laughs> if you have a mixture of both, you're going to do really well in the race. So with uh, Justin and Diana, just like they had their own fake amazing race where they came up with their own fairly intensive tasks and and traveling, of course, and just everything that they do in their everyday lives and being type A personalities that it's rare to see a super fan team that can be front runners and cause controversy amongst other teams other than like other super fan teams where nobody really has an opinion on them. They're just the over eager people who want to race. And may I point out, they have been in first place going into both cities so far. Mm-hmm. And everyone else is noticing that already, which is, you know, that's quite an accomplishment. Usually, we, yeah, with superfan teams, especially, well, even superfan contestants on Survivor, like Cochrane, where nobody takes them seriously in their first go-around. They're just people that you use to get ahead to the end. And yet, if a U-turn did come up next week, which it won't because they would have hyped it up, I don't think they'd be targeted, unless Tanner and Josh got there first. Or Chack Attack was also dissing Jess and Diana a little bit. They've gone down in my estimations this week. I have a couple of new favourites. I mean, obviously, I love Logan and Chris. Denise and James are still amazing. Justin and Diana, obviously. I think they are my three favourites at the moment. And I hope they all survive a while, because 
especially Denise and James. Denise is just mortifying him, and it's kind of hilarious. Yeah, we haven't really had a mother-son team where the mother actively embarrasses the son all the way throughout. I think the last moment I can think of was, well, I guess the last mother-son team to race was uh, the dread, the season that nobody wants to speak of again, when Luke is trying to balance the drinks, and then he has that little temper tantrum, and then Margie's like, stop it! That's probably the last, that's pretty, pretty much the only moment where mother embarrasses a son on the race. The people of KL are laughing at him. And one of my favourite bits of the cardboard task was, of course, Krista taking a massive fall. Oh, I was about to mention I'm thinking, why isn't Tiffany and Krista in your top three favourites? We have the the 20-pound neck brace dangling from the backpack in the first week and then owning or pwning uh, Kelly and Siobhan. And then this week we have the cart crash. They are in the top half of teams for me. And then, of course, later on with the tango with the pit stop greeter, and then Justin and Diana being like, it, it, it's, a, it's a dancing task. Yay! <laughs> and Chris would just be like, can I do it? Can I do it? Please, please, please. Can I do it? Can I do it? <laughs> yeah, it's like the Mr. Peanut Butter of the Amazing Race. Have you not seen BoJack Horseman? I have not, no. Oh, you need to see it. You need to see it, like, ASAP. You should have seen, you should be see, in the words of Brittany from Big Brother Canada, you need to have seen it yesterday. I think if Tiffany and Krista continue on this trajectory, they probably will end up being in my top three by the end of the season. Because Krista especially has the potential to basically be a Mallory, in terms of being on all the time. Yes. Never, ever, ever slowing down. Or there was another moment with them in the detour where Tiffany was worn and slippery and then she nearly loses her finger on the cardboard dumpster. Which is kind of scary because um, a, fr- a close friend of my brother's, uh, he worked at the at a movie theater, uh, this was probably close to 10 years ago, and he went to throw a bunch of stuff in the, one of the big dumpsters. And then when he went to close the thing, he actually lost the tip of his finger. He lost about you know, a tenth of his finger from the dumpster closing in on his hand. Jimmy Fallon had a freak accident, I think, a couple of months ago, where he no- nearly lost his finger. Oh, really? He managed to get his uh, ring trapped on a worktop or something, I think it was, but still on his finger. Oh. He very nearly severed it. And Tanner and Josh are the first to weigh their cardboard with 27 kilos, and then they get 84 and a half, and Justin and Dana get 60. And Tanner and Josh deliberately weigh it a second time just to slow down Justin and Diana, which is kind of a dick move. It's... Yeah, it would be considered a dick move. Yeah, there's fair racing and then there's doing that. But that's not the only thing they've done. Uh, And we also get to see Justin get a drink break. Do we even know what that mystery drink was? No, but probably vodka. In, In Argentina, they have... Well, I guess... Do they have that much of a Soviet influence? I thought, like... I thought in Argentina, it's just, uh, it would just be uh, tequila. Maybe red wine, actually. Or red wine, yes. They do have their vineyards. But yeah, in the absence of Justin probably going on Facebook and telling me exactly what the drink was, I'm going to say it was something alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Has anybody ever shown up to the pit stop drunk before? That's a good question, that, actually. I don't think so. I, I think, unlike Survivor, the Amazing Race don't particularly like their races to get rat assed. You mean a, a show that that tries to target families and doesn't po- and is popular in the fifty plus demographic doesn't want its racers actively drinking alcohol during the course of the race? I don't think we'll ever see 
an amazing race equivalent of Fair Play getting pissed at Tribal Council. Kim and Allie would have would have probably had the chance to drink as much as possible if they had the chance. They they nearly did in Malta. Malty beer in Malta. I wonder if that's where malt comes from. In fact, the whole reason that they don't want to give the races alcohol is when they've got races like Mallory and Brooke. Because can you imagine them drunk? Brooke drunk, especially if she's... Uh, Come she's on, Claire! <laughs> especially if she's wearing, uh, you know, those cheetah pants that she did uh, in the... Was it the final round with the cheetah pants or the second to last round? Could you imagine her in South Korea wearing cheetah pants with a pink bandana walking up and down the streets, uh, or maybe not the streets of Seoul, maybe along the demilitarized home, completely drunk, or <laughs> her trying to do those karate moves that she usually does. <laughs> Who would be the funniest racer to be drunk? Are we including any of the kids from Family Edition? <laughs> um, pro- probably not, other than... <laughs> Billy and Carissa Gagan. Or the Schroeder family. They look like a, t- a family who really needed a drink. Sherry and Ian? Yeah, I was thinking Ian. I suspect Ian would be quite fun drunk. Basically, anyone who is ridiculously high energy would be a hilarious drunk racer, I think. Yeah. Mallory would be a very entertaining drunk, especially with the facial reactions to the Snapple Prize, which you'll get to. Or if she got drunk, or, or she probably did have to get drunk during the second round after Mark refused to ditch his backpack. She probably had at least seven drinks that night. I have your medicine. And Denise tells James Earl, Don't doubt me! I know I'm right. And another great moment from the cardboard detour was Alex and Adam completely stacking a motorbike. And just being like, eh. Or, or well, Adam or whoever it was throwing the other guy into the cardboard bin. It was uh, Alex throwing Adam, I think. Yeah. Because it was revenge for the helicopter flight. Throw him into the cardboard bin, then what they should have done is, I think I've talked about this before, but have the the producer from Ellen who does all the haunted houses that always gets freaked out, he should have been in Buenos Aires at the time, walking by the cardboard bin, and then Adam and Alex pop out and scare the crap out of him. Are you sure that that producer is not just Katie Gallagher? She's working on Ellen? Yeah, have you never never seen She um She got a hidden camera prank as one of the staffers, I believe. But yeah, that, as far as I know, that's still what she's doing. I would have never guessed. But now I know. So it's Justin and Diana who leave Cataneros in first with... You with giving Tanner and Josh that 10 second head start? Now that's just fair racing, folks. You know, both of you are trying to get by in the same tight space on the street and then it's like, no, we'll just let you get a 10 second head start and we'll be right behind you. And the next thing you know, Justin and Diana are ahead of you. And Tanner and Josh are second with Logan and Chris in third. Denise and James in fourth, Cindy and Rick in fifth, Kelsey and Joey, who we haven't even talked about, leave Flatero in sixth, Tiffany and Crystal leave Cataneros in seventh, Ernest and Jin in eighth, Alex and Adam in ninth, and Jasmine and Danielle in last. And teams must now find the Bertolone Mitra to find the next clue. I guess we should talk about the other side of that detour, with Kelsey reaching into the crack of the statue. I think she was searching for a hidden express pass. Well, last time any race went to Buenos Aires, they had the chance at finding an express pass, didn't they? Yeah. Yes, they did. It's not like it's never happened before. Mm-hmm. It'll come out when you least expect it. But yeah, it's nice that somebody went to the other side of the detail. Especially after Chris talked himself out of it about two or three times. Yeah, I mean, we've not seen that much of Kelsey and Joey, which sadly probably means that they're not going to last too long. But I like all that I get of them. They're a nice couple. 
Yeah, like, they're not super boring. They just have this... Like, they're, they're pretty much the straight man of the of the whole reality TV comedy scene on a weekly basis. Yeah, they like to pick the less popular side of the detail by the look of things, so... Well, they got to cover the new, where the where the where the story is. Having said that, I do like the image of Joey just sat in the back of the truck, looking like he's been kidnapped. <laughs> yeah, so, if only they put like a like a no blanket over his yeah, like the black blanket over his head, and then just throw him into the trunk, and then Kelsey and the angry gray bearded truck driver just uh, race off. <laughs> That truck driver was the best because he never smiled once. He had this, he just had this epic frown and just had zero personality. Can you imagine if uh, Blan made Joey get into the back of the truck and said, right, put these handcuffs on and this black bag over your head? Yeah. (laughs) Reporting live from the back of a truck in Buenos Aires, I'm being kidnapped and possibly held for ransom. I think the statue was a bit too valuable. This basically is a mole task. Yeah, it is. We'll try not to let the statue break in the back of the truck. And, of course, the uh, the statue would have had an exemption in. The Mole 5 also filmed in Argentina. In Buenos Aires. Trekking through the Andes. Paul Free. And once teams get to the next location, it's the roadblock, which is who wants to get sideways. And in this roadblock, one team member must, as always with any Argentinian leg, learn the tango. However, there is a series of steps that must be performed at a 90-degree angle. Once the routine is complete, teams receive their next clue. It's virtual insanity. Do you think Jamiroquai did come up with this task? I know he's a beloved figure in in British music. I honestly think that they are going for weirder tasks because they know they've got a couple of superfan teams on the season. Because Alex and Adam were superfans. Justin has gone on record now as saying he's probably the biggest superfan ever to race. So they can't really do that many switchbacks, so they've got to get creative, and this is a brilliant way to do the tango task. That is basically a requirement every time they go to Argentina. Yeah, they did it in tango in Australia as well, right? They did tango as a detour in Australia, it was a detour in Canada's visit as well. They basically do do a tango-related task every time they go to Argentina. And the thing about it too is that we always, especially with it's a tango performance task that the teams have to do, we have to hear the exact same soundtrack play about 20 times during the episode. And this was no different. So at least it was, at least they varied it. So we got to watch people walking sideways in the process. Cause if I, it was just a normal tango task, like we had to see in the Mason race Canada, I would have been fairly annoyed. Cause I got annoyed with that soundtrack and seeing it's like, well, they're just, they're just dancing. There's nothing, something new going on here. But at least this time we get a twist with them going up sideways. And also we got to see Tanner get very frustrated. Very frustrated. Also, once Tanner and Josh did leave, I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but once Tanner and Josh did leave, they said that they were relieved to have got the dance task out of the way. Are they assuming there isn't going to be another dance task? Because I think there probably will be at some point. This isn't Amazing Race Canada, though, where where you have 20 dance tasks in the span of one episode. With the American version... Sometimes you can go several seasons without a dance task, and the most you usually have is one, and maybe two, if you want to make up your own dance along the way. If you're Charlene Mirna, you have an additional dance, because after you find the tango dancer, then you want to tango with him as well. I'd be quite surprised if there's no choreography or very similar task left in the season. 
And it was Diana, Tanner, Logan, Cindy, Kelsey, James, Krista, Jin, Alex, and Jasmine doing the roadblock. And Tanner is the woman, yes? Yep. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, come on, this is an amazing race dance task. They've got to put them in uh, gratuitously offensive costumes. And put them in drag to annoy Logan. That's how it works. Yeah, that's usually how it works, yeah. So then they just groan and they make my usual spiel about how it's like, oh, they're just doing Bugs Bunny humor. The 50, the people in the 50 plus demographic are going to find this hilarious. Ah. <laughs> and then we get another scene of. Tanner and Josh ragging on uh, on Justin because he's loud and supportive. Seriously, I don't know how anyone could take any offence to this scene for, in terms of hating on Justin because he was just being very supportive. Mm-hmm. And he was—he actually does have a background in dance, so it's not like he was saying, oh, I could have done this so much better than everyone else. It was like, well, he has a background in dancing, so yeah, he could have done this better than pretty much everyone else, except maybe like Krista or... Uh, Jasmine, who apparently has a tight core. And also, she was no slouch on that tango task. She did very well. Mm-hmm. She did it in two attempts. Yeah. Do you think people with flabby abs were offended by Jasmine's remark? Yeah, I was offended. <laughs> if you have flabby abs, you're not going to be able to tango at all. Everyone in Argentina has six-packs. I think she's thinking of Sweden. Sweden is the hot people country, I think. Argentina, yeah, not so much. What about the ga- the gauchos, though? Gauchos and polo players. And we need to talk about a polo player, because the greeter was miserable slash awesome. Do you think Joan Rivers hates polo players as much as poker players? You're a polo player! A polo player! That's <laughs> what? That's beyond white like trash, trash, darling! <laughs> so it's uh, Justin and Dana who leave in first, with Logan and Chris in second, Tanner and Josh in third, Cindy and Rick in fourth, Denise and James in fifth, Tiffany and Chris are in 6th, Kelsey and Joey in 7th, Ernest and Jane in 8th, Alex and Adam in ninth, and Jasmine and Danielle in last. And the pit stop is the Cathedral of Polo. The last team to check in here may be eliminated. That's a very grand term for a polo stadium. Because it's a cathedral, do they are they expected to take their hats off in there as well? Because looking at the polo players, they're all wearing hats. So they violated the rules of the cathedral right there. And also, may I point out, before the season, Phil said that they were going to ha- try and have some more Amazing Race 1 vibes. This is a great way to do that and give them a really obscure name for a pit stop. And say, do you know it? Mm-hmm. And um, Denise mortifies James by saying, you came out of our belly! <laughs> we we need more moments like this. Where J- it's funny because this is how the storyline is for Denise and James Earl so far. From James Earl's perspective... It's all about de- getting Denise to fully accept him uh, after coming out of the closet. And then in her mind, she's thinking, I already accepted you, though. And then from Denise's perspective, she's just so not with it that way. And that her goal is just to pretty much just embarrass her son as much as possible. So it's funny that there's the two large contrasts in terms of story. I think her entire goal is to just mortify him as much as possible. They won't be coming back, even if invited. Denise could be on the blind next blind date season, though. Only if she's allowed to race with Phil. Or somebody who's, like, 21 or 22 years of age. Could you imagine for the blind date season, Denise, you know, 51 years old, and then it's like, okay, you'll be racing with uh, Blair. Here you go, Blair. (laughs) When they do another uh, 
blind date season because you know as well as I do they are probably going to do that. It got people talking. Oh, they just need to do really inappropriate blind dates, <laughs> just the most inappropriate possible because that would be amazing. Oh, just have Denise with Tanner or Josh, like bl- or like blind date all stars, which is past contestants who are now single, all being matched up with one another. Well, the whole point of doing blind dates is to make completely inappropriate pairings. So just make them more inappropriate. Go extreme for it. Make it an old and young. Make it just really inappropriate. Oh. <laughs> and Tanner and Josh were not very nice about Justin after he left. They want to take him down. And something tells me they will not get the chance. Twinkle Toes wants to take down the big guns. Yeah, that was a weird scene, having <laughs> having Josh call Tanner Twinkle Toes. That's my Twinkle Toes! Did you know that, there's a re- that there used to be a top... UFC fighter whose nickname was Twinkle Toes. Really? Yeah, Frank Twinkle Toes Trig. You can Google it right now. That that result will come up. Did you know that there used to be a successful UFC racer called the Spartan until he went on the Amazing Race Canada? Oh, oh, no. Don't bring that up. That's why I hated the last season of Amazing Race Canada. With the lack of Ben here, I need to make at least one Elias joke for you. But seriously, Frank Twinkle Toes Trig... Used to be like, uh, used to fight for the welterweight title in the UFC about 15 years ago. I don't know where he is at now because he also transitioned into doing lots of commentary. And Danielle offers to buy Jasmine new feet. Imagine if like Jasmine's feet were cut up by the pit stop and then she had to be medically evacuated because it was like, well, what are you doing? We're running through the streets of Buenos Aires barefoot. Are you completely stupid? We're not going to buy you new feet. That's you're gonna, you want like robotic feet? Like this? This is an archer, Jasmine. Yes, we're, we're just pulling a Dana and Amanda. We're trying to run everywhere. <laughs> and in a result that made me very happy, uh, Justin and Dana are the first team to arrive, and for their troubles, they get a trip to Morocco with no breakfast in bed, though mentioned. Oh, no breakfast in bed. Oh, that's a a trip to Morocco isn't even worth it then. And second was supposed to be Denise and James, but Tanner and Josh overtook them <laughs> for the last second. Oh, 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 oh. This, this was the best moment from the whole episode. This was, it's a, it's a great comedic scene because, as you know, racers aren't fully aware of where they are in the standings, and I could tell with Tanner and Josh, they're like, they just want to be just and Diana so bad, they're willing to do anything possible to secure first place. And that dash with James and Earl being, 30 feet ahead, and this is a race for second, so really, on the Amazing Race, you might want first place to get that prize for the leg, but really all that matters is to not last, or if it's going to be back-to-back legs in one city, then just don't be really far behind everybody else. But they're only like two minutes behind first place, probably, and or they're only going to be two minutes ahead at the most in their in their mind when they're heading to the pit stop. And the fact that James and Den- or James Earl and Denise were, you know, 30 feet ahead, and then Tanner and Josh start running with their backpacks on, drop the backpacks, and go into to pretty much the most full-on sprint I've seen since maybe when Brian and Greg tried to outrun uh, Ray and Dina to the pit stop in Amazing Race 7. This was a full-on, you know, Usain Bolt-inspired sprint. And then, you know, just inches away from the pit stop, they pass James Earl and Denise. And then we get the hamstring injury, and they only get second place as a result of it. This was delicious. 
it wasn't just delicious, it's also a kind of throwback. Because the last time that we saw a team say, I've just injured my leg, on the run to the pit stop, to second place, was David Connor. Although with David Connor, it wasn't like he was... He's such a slow runner that it's like as if he just happened to injure himself on the way to the pit stop. But this was like somebody really asking for a hamstring to be pulled. Because this was all-out sprinting, just going as hard as he possibly can. And then you get injured, and then you just get second place. And then you look like a complete idiot. Also, it's deeply ironic because the whole point of wearing leggings like they are is to stop yourself getting injuries. To massage your muscles. So, you know, fail. Yeah, this was just hilarious. It was like, oh, by the way, uh, Tanner and Josh, that was a, that was a, that was a great sprint there, but you're, you're only team number two. But also, we know full well that Edison wouldn't show him saying, I just pulled my hamstring unless it was actually relevant to the season. Because we've had people race on broken bones before and it not be mentioned. Or you have Amy from Amy and Maya a couple seasons back where Amy could was just horrendous at running and she was still able to win the whole dang thing. Yeah, or we had the concussion from Family Edition, which they didn't know about until after the season. Whose concussion was that? I can't remember. One of the kids fell at the start line. Oh, and there was an actual concussion? like Yeah, she got a concussion and they didn't find out until they were eliminated the next leg. Oh, probably uh, Br- Brittany Rogers? Yes, I think it might have been. And that's this, folks. Um, just to let you know, it's going to be the only Brittany Rogers reference you're going to hear on the entire podcast. And the fact I not only... And what's... Um, do not be weirded out by me remembering her first and last name. <laughs> it was Renee Rogers. Oh, the mother. Okay. She fell at the start line and suffered, suffered a concussion, and they didn't even realize the severity of the injury until they... They'd gone to hospital after being eliminated. Can we just take a minute to talk about the Rogers family while they're brought up? Because this is the only time we're probably ever going to talk about them. (laughs) I love how many family edition references we're going for today. But just, you know, that whole starting line, having 40 people at the start line just seemed like it was a bit too much to ask for in Amazing Race. That I mean, somebody's bound to get a concussion with that many people all running in a herd together. And then with the Rogers family, those were two really awkward episodes to watch from them. Because they looked super dysfunctional, and it got really uncomfortable fast. Especially with uh, Brock and, uh, I don't for some reason I don't remember the dad's name. But the father and son just bickering back and forth between each other, and then Brittany trying to, you know, make sure everything goes over well, and then Ren- Renee just, you know, just completely bawling from the sidelines, essentially, but I guess that's probably probably because she had the concussion, so it makes a lot more sense now. And then they get eliminated because, you know, the Brock was right and nobody wanted to listen to him. They would not have shown him saying, I injured my hamstring, unless it became a, uh, a plot point in a later episode, I suspect. Mm-hmm. So, so this will be the, not the last we hear of Tanner's hamstring, I suspect. If anything, it'll probably explain why they use their express packs. Maybe there'll be a, maybe they'll fly to Jamaica and they will have to race against Usain Bolt, and then it's like, well, hamstring guy's not gonna be able to do it, so we'll use the express packs. At least they seem to understand the strategy they could use for the uh, relay express pass. 
Because we had a, a confessional from them at the start saying that they'd basically leave it as long as possible. And they can't leave it for that long, though. That's to be used by the fifth round, isn't it? Like, it expires really early this year. Yeah, they've got three legs to use it, and then once they give it away to another team, that team has to use it the next leg. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, fourth was Logan and Chris. Fifth was Cindy and Rick. Uh, sixth was... Did you appreciate Jin's somersault at the task? <laughs> yeah, I didn't... <laughs> I didn't really understand it, but we also saw him do a flying leap into the cardboard bag as well. Yeah, he really wants to be like Blanca from Street Fighter. Yeah, it was quite impressive. And then finding the doo-doo, and then Ernest hip-thrusting when the roadblock was completed. There was a lot from Ernest and Jin Lao this week, and then of course their whole thing in the airport, trying to mimic the the flight attendants. Ernest was basically pulling a simi off of Opie. With his thrusting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The weird thing with the Roblox too is that nobody ha- everybody seemed to have a background in hip-hop dancing. I guess hip-hop has yet to catch on in Argentina. So yeah, fifth was Cindy and Rick. Sixth was Tiffany and Krista. Seventh was Kelsey and Joey. Eighth was Jasmine and Danielle. Ernest and Jim were ninth. And Alex and Adam were last and eliminated. With Cindy and Rick, the, the pit stop reader was not very hopeful about their long-term prospects. Yes, they get a short amount of happiness. Short time of happiness, yes. <laughs> Which is such a dick move from the um, from the greeter to say something like that. I don't think the greeter's ever been that much of a jerk before to a team. Well, Phil was being a jerk to Jasmine and Danielle as well. He he told them he was very sorry to tell them that they were at the back of the pack. She's like, you horrible to to them, Phil. You're mean, and that's rude. But the, yeah, so the Tango guy gets to be like a big character in this episode, because not only does he completely diss the pair of newlyweds, but then he also tangos with Krista. And in, and what, oh, there's actually one discrepancy in this round, because Joe and Kelsey check in right after Tiffany and Krista, and then Krista told uh, Kelsey that she killed the, the Tango task. But I'm thinking, Tiffany and Krista left there before them, so how did she know that Kelsey killed it at Tango? Yeah. Something doesn't add up. So, did you hear why Alex and Adam got eliminated? Yeah, I heard about that. That apparently they went to a polo store. Yeah, they were taken to a, to the wrong place, apparently. And then there was it was really far away, so they also had to... They were I'm guessing they were out of money by this point, so they had to take the metro and then walk three kilometers to the pit stop. Yeah, so that explains why they were behind when they actually left in ninth. So they probably lost, they probably lost this round by like half an hour, because that sounds like a long distance overall, maybe even closer to an hour. And of course they have the most distasteful joke by editors at the end of the leg. Oh, editors are having so much fun. That was was just mean to be like, oh, (laughs) because editors could have shown anything, anything from them being bummed out by it being eliminated, but they had to show them repeating. I don't even know if they said this many times or if editors just threw it in on a repeated audio loop, but saying, it's two legs, it's all we got was two legs. And I'm just cringing while watching this, thinking, come on, editors. You could have edited that part out. You know what everybody is going to be thinking at home, and sure enough, Twitter and Facebook are making stupid jokes about that quote. As opposed to Tanner and Josh, who now only have three legs. Oh, yes. Uh, so next time, teams head on to another place in Argentina and meet more polo and more foot races. This season overall, it's it's really, you know, 27 seasons in. 
I think it's really showing just how few things are left for the amazing race to do with how much overlap we have with other seasons. But yet, with this group, they're making it interesting. Yeah, I am much higher on the um, the caster than I was. I wasn't particularly high on it at the start of the season, especially coming off Amazing Race Canada 3, which had an amazing cast. A terrible boot order, but an amazing cast. But, yeah, I I like them a lot more than I did a couple of weeks ago. And the whole overall editing for this episode was really good. I, I mean, they paced it well enough to where there wasn't a single team who got uh, under-edited in this episode, and everybody contributed at least something. Like, this is we're over an hour into this podcast for this week which is unusual for the second round, because usually the second round is so fast-paced and just there's really not a whole lot to talk about. With it. But with this week, we did have a fair amount to discuss, including the Rogers family. Maybe Kelsey and Joey were a little bit under-edited, because we didn't see that much of them. And they got their own detour scene. Nobody else got that. Like, everyone else sort of had to share the whole detour, so it was like a highlight reel. But with them, they got to have their own little 45 second to a minute scene with just them doing the task. And it's just that they did it so well that there wasn't anything directly to comment on other than where where Kelsey was reaching and that Joey looked like he was being kidnapped. And the truck driver. Well, yeah. And Juan, the miserable truck driver. I think that's the first clue toss upon hearing the news that you're last. They just wanted to make Amazing Race history. They're such big fans. Hashtag superfences. Yeah, we didn't even learn they were... Huge super fans till this week. But I suppose when you're on a season with Justin and Diana, you really aren't going to be the biggest super fans, are you? No, I could see them even outdoing. Well, I mean, the guy did a whole proposal around the Amazing Race, so he's got to be number one by far. Even over Dennis and Isabel, who went into CrossFit for the sole purpose of preparing for the race. Anything else to add about this episode? Yeah, other than that thing I forgot to mention with Ernest and Jin Lau before he interrupted me, but. Uh, <laughs> That's no, all I, my fault. Yeah, it's all your fault. I lost my train of thought. Because, uh, yeah, I just can't remember the one point I wanted to make, but oh well. Uh, so, thank you very much for joining us. Logan will be back next weekend with Ben for another amazing race. And if you enjoy the show, and even if you didn't, please give us a like on YouTube and subscribe and rate the episodes on iTunes. And if you want to see what we're rambling about this week, our Twitters are MJ Harmstone and LogSuperKwacky, both of which are spelled in the descriptions everywhere. Uh, if you missed our interview with Mike and Michelle from Race Race 26, that's available on iTunes. And finally, if you're following Celebrity Apprentice Australia, Ben is blogging that all season, which you can find at yasincast.wordpress.com. Thank you again. Hashtag 250, hashtag Yancast, hashtag SuperKwacky. Peace! Hey Chris, you want to paddleboard my butt, Yancanals?